This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill, and we're in the great indoors today, and we're going to be talking about the great outdoors. <laughs> exactly, and it's been a little bit again. Thanks for your patience with us. It's been a busy season. David's been running around. I've been running around, and now we're finally in the studio ready to do another show for you, so it's good to be back. So, Just in time for some hunting season. It's it's kicking off here in a couple days. I was going to say, here pretty quick, you're going to be heading to the backcountry, right? Yeah. He's like, yes, because he's been out doing trade shows, so he's ready to go hunting. Um, if you're a bow spider customer, I apologize. You will, uh, you can call the office. The, the gals will take care of you. But as far as my phone, the uh, voicemail is getting changed to, if it's September, I will call you in October. I like it. I think that's fair. And today, we have a special guest with us. I have my good buddy, Matt Good. Matt, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you, man. So Matt, just so that all of you know, he, he builds custom rifles in his day job for Crossside Custom Rifles here in Riverton, but he's also on search and rescue. And so I was like, man, you know what? We should have you on and talk about all these cool things that you get to do and all this fun stuff. So uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun today to talk about that. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. One of the things that, you know, a lot of people don't think about is search and rescue until they need it. And so I know this year you and I got to work on a search and rescue together. Yeah. Um, I think the only time sportsmen think about search and rescue is when they're checking out <laughs> Wyoming Fishing Game and they, do yeah. you want to donate to Access Yes? Do you want to donate to fi- Search and Rescue? And, and I'm hoping by the end of this, everyone, when they see the do you want to donate to Search and Rescue, give says, them a dollar yes. or two. Yeah. Click yes. Yeah, yes. definitely. So tell us a little bit about Search and Rescue and kind of how it works. Yeah, so um, in our county, we're all volunteer and uh, we work under the direction of the sheriff's office. So we're kind of an extension of them, a volunteer extension um, under their workman's comp and insurance and everything. Um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of who we answer to. And uh, when someone's lost or needs help and we have the people or the equipment to help that person out or, or who they call. So, you know, with it being under the sheriff's office, I mean, obviously you have protocols and whatnot, but isn't it true that like all of the equipment, all of the stuff that you guys have, it's funded partially through the county, but it's also um, donations that people make, you know, when they fill out their tags. I mean, how does that all work? Yeah. And Fremont County's kind, I think it's unique. I don't know how many other counties have three different individual teams. So we have the Dubois team, the Lander team and the Riverton team. Um, And so the budget is, is limited and it gets split between three different divisions um so but if you look at a map of fremont county that's huge that's yeah (laughs) it is one of the biggest i mean we're going to get rid of alaska and they they don't count up there yeah but uh down here in the lesser 48 i mean you look at counties fremont county is if they had one centralized hub of a search and rescue and you look at kind of the way the mountain ranges are and stuff is laid out that that makes sense yeah so yeah our county budget gets split between three teams and uh then it's all donated money from there 
And you guys have a benefit dinner coming up here pretty soon, right? Yep. So August, tell everybody about that. Yeah. So August 28th, we're going to have a, a little banquet, a little dinner, um, a silent auction, live auction, and hopefully some fun games. And uh, we've got a lot of neat prizes, helicopter rides, hot air balloon rides that'll be auctioned off. Um, yeah. And then all that money will go to the Riverton team specifically. We'll put that towards our training and equipment for the next year. So what kind of equipment are we talking about? I mean, I know that I got to see the raft at the particular one that I was at, but what else do you guys have? So we've got that rib boat that you got to take a ride on. Um, We've got a pontoon boat. We've got a couple of four wheelers. We've got exposure suits for like cold water, swift water type stuff, ice rescue equipment, and then a decent amount of high angle equipment, ropes, the rigging and everything that goes along with that. I'm trying to think what else we have. We've got, you know, a decent amount of medical gear. Well, that's probably where we'll, we'll throw a little bit of our funding this year is to try to get caught up on medical gear. A lot of that's kind of expendable or consumable type stuff that has expiration dates and, and goes bad after a while. And then the, the big thing, as far as my goals is I just, the training's the biggest thing, you know, you can have the best equipment in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, uh, you're not really any good to anybody. So, so what kind of training do you guys do? Um, mostly it'll be a lot of swift water training, high angle rescue training, uh, like land search management training, just knowing how to run a search in the most efficient and effective ways. Trying to think what else we would, we would spend money on. Every once in a while we go to track man tracking classes. That's a handy skill to have. That's, that's pretty fun sometimes. Man, I can't think of any medical training, you know, yeah, of course, of course yeah. that gear as well. So a lot of different training, a lot of different, uh, environments and, uh, arenas you find yourself in here in Fremont County. So, and you're doing it all volunteer, all volunteer. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Don't you, David? I mean, the fact that we have a group of people that are willing to donate their own time is, is pretty special. Well, I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to say, yeah, I'll, you know, if, if your buddy's lost, right. But you get a call at three o'clock in the morning in January that somebody's lost and you, you know, it's, that, that's a tough motivator to say, let's go out during one of our nice windstorms and it's you know eight below and let's go you know the the snow's blowing tracks and it's not an easy oh he's right here and we'll be there or she's right here and it'll take 10 minutes it might be a you know you might start at three o'clock in the morning and it might be 24 48 72 hours till you you call it off or or are successful right yeah absolutely yeah you hit the nail on the head that's tough sometimes in the morning early early morning like that and what the conditions aren't great uh it's like, oh boy, I've got to cancel everything I had on the schedule for tomorrow and probably the day after that. Um, so yeah, that's probably one of the toughest things about, you know, this this whole program or organization is just uh, dedicating the time to it, you know, at the drop of a hat. So, so I mean, from my limited knowledge and exposure, one of the biggest things anybody can do is is leave a travel itinerary, right? Yeah. Where they were going, when they were supposed <laughs> to return, right? Yeah, really good idea. Yeah, that's the one of the most helpful things for a search and rescue team is uh, having a last place scene or, or an idea of where you're going or where you started. Um, yeah, especially if you have something like that that can cut the search time in half or better, you know, depending on the scenario. So that's super important. So, yeah. And you and I were talking about it the other day. <clears throat> one of the big things is PPE, you know, just having, you know, the right stuff with you, you know, whether it be a flotation device or, you know, the the right gear when you're climbing, you know, so talk about that a little bit, just preparedness. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned flotation device, a personal flotation device is like one of those deals. I remember being a little guy and 
like always wanted to take the PFD off, but like I was always <laughs> falling out of the boat, you know? So my, my dad took care of me there, but that, um, it seems like some of the drownings we see every year, like it's totally preventable with a PFD. And, uh, you know, you hear the argument that they're uncomfortable. It's like, well, companies have done a great job mitigating the comfort issues, you know, they're where they don't even nice now. like the inflatables. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's like one of those deals. It's, you know, the, the most expensive PFD you can find are, you know, 350 bucks and they're the most comfortable. They're the best out there and they'll last you a lifetime. So it's one of those things now that I've, been on the other end of this it's like i totally see the value and the ease and just how simple it is to prevent a lot of those lost family members you know so it's funny that you brought that up i was just out at lake erie and uh got to tour the it's like the great lakes museum and so they have all this information on the old boats and on the old flotation devices that's what got me thinking of that and they showed one of these old flotation devices from it was either the late 1800s or early 1900s and all it was was these big blocks of cork that you shoved down into this sack and you kind of <laughs> tied it around yourself. And it and it works decently, right? But it's not anything like the stuff today. And then they showed you kind of after so many hours how far you would sink with that compared to today's devices where you don't sink at all, like they're impermeable to water. You know, they, they resist all the water. So it's just kind of funny to see how all of that has changed over time. Also, you know, the cold water gear, how that's changed, you know, and, yeah. and the type of suits that you use, like when you do ice fishing rescues or, you know, recoveries, you know, it's, it's a totally different set of equipment nowadays. Yeah. Yep. And that stuff is, uh, it's really expensive, but like once you've been in ice water with it and then without it, you're like, I don't care what that costs. Like I'm going to have <laughs> that piece of equipment. Um, yeah. So we, we have like actual ice rescue suits and they're kind of like a, a cold weather exposure suit where they have insulation and flotation built into them. And that's what we'll respond into like with most ice rescue scenarios. And then like our cold water, um, we have dry suits. They're like an uninsulated, basically like a Gore-Tex like shell. And then you layer up underneath of it and you can use those in some really cold water too. Um, so those are kind of our water exposure sh suits that we, uh, our PPE that we use. And so the donations pay for all of that, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and they're pretty pricey. Just to give you an idea, you know, a lot of these dry suits run right around $1,000 a piece. Um, you know, and to make a, a good solid response, you probably want at least six team members suited up. And then you get a volunteer organization. We've got guys on our team that are six foot five, you know, pushing 300 pounds all the way down to like my wife, who's like, yeah, way smaller than that. Tiny. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to get. Um, suits that fit everybody that responds. So you just don't know who, who's going to be able to show up. So um, it's really tough on a limited budget to, to get the equipment like that, but we're working on it. We're getting there. So does the sheriff's department furnish your ride? Like as far as like, do you pick up a vehicle from them or do you volunteer that as well? Yeah. So um, like I mentioned, the four wheelers, they're kind of like some old Arctic cats and they're, they're great little machines, but everybody's got like their fixed up side by side or their four wheelers that they trust. They've got all their, uh, hoists and jacks and everything they would want in case they got stuck. So they kind of stay at the, the barn, the station. Um, but they do furnish us with a, a, what we call our command vehicle with a radio and, um, other County equipment. That's, that's really useful. So we use that pretty much all the time. It goes on almost everything, but it doesn't fit the bill for everything. Not an off-road machine, I guess. Like, yeah. I'm trying to say, yeah. yeah. They don't give you a big Humvee. No, <laughs> no lift kit and big tires. <laughs> no, but it's a good solid little ride. Oh, that's cool. 
So how does that work? Like if, if someone is lost or, you know, somebody's missing, how does it, what does the protocol look like for them to deploy you and your team? Yeah. Um, so a lot of times, like if it's close to town, sometimes they'll just send a deputy and see if they could just locate them. Um, and if it's something that's a little more extensive or inclement weather or terrain where like deputies like, no, let's just call search and rescue. Um, they'll call us out. Um, and then we kind of make a determination on who shows up, uh, what kind of a response we make. If it's that day, you know, the time of day and everything else has a lot to do. If we go out that night or we wait till morning. And some of that's that preliminary information of, hey, this guy's overdue and he went fishing or hunting or hiking. Or no, this person was just driving from Riverton Lander and didn't show up, right? Yeah. So yeah. May, maybe, you know, the person that's just driving from Riverton to Lander that didn't show up, well, maybe they decided to run over to Casper for some reason, right? So yeah. That, that's really hard to say, okay, we're going to do a, an on the ground man search of that area. Right. But yeah. if you knew to start with that, Hey, I went hunting for three days and I was supposed to be back and I'm now overdue. That's a lot easier starting point. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And then like you say, all that information plays into um, like we have search urgency charts where we can kind of put in the criteria and the, the circumstances and then uh, basically kind of have a formula that adds everything up and lets you know like, hey, this is actually very urgent. You guys need to go right now. Or like you say, maybe we'll just give him a day and see if he shows up sort of a deal. Um, and then from there, we've got another kind of a neat little form called a, a Matson consensus form where um, you can take all that information, where they were headed, um, health, mental um, acuity, everything else takes that into account. And then you get your, you break your kind of your search area into like say four areas and you kind of get a couple of people together and you do this evaluation form on which area you think is most likely to have them located. And it turns out, I can't remember in that class, they say like 80% of the time they find them in the high pro what, the high probability area that the, the matching consensus form comes up with. So we've got some neat uh, little tools and tricks to kind of get us pointed the right direction, if you will. So is there like a school that does this type of training or is it just like na like national type trainings that do this or how does that work? Yeah. So I think they call it NASAR, the national search and rescue. They, they put on classes like this. I've never been to any of their classes. Um, but uh, the few that I've been to have been put on by other counties that have brought in someone that was uh, an expert in, in that right. subject. So so do you collaborate a lot then with the other search and rescue personnel in the state? Like, do you guys just train each other? Is that kind of how that works? Um, we seem to team up with Sublet County. They're always willing to help and come over if, if we need it. Um, they're they're top-notch group there we will learn a lot from them every time they come over so i've been to trainings that they've put on they always invite us if they got something cool going on so they're they're uh, i think they're one of the best in the state and probably the best in the state and always willing to help so we'll, we'll deal with them i haven't had a whole lot with any other counties you bump into other counties when you go to paid trainings you know so right. so just for our listeners because we've got listeners all over the world and all over the country but so fremont county is on the east side of the wind river mountains and then sublet county is on the west side and so there's a lot of play in between the two because we have a lot of hunters hikers backpackers that go back and, and forth trails climbers. That go back and forth yeah well. so it gets kind of complicated and so i'm sure you guys overlap a fair amount yeah yeah and there's a lot of times you know there's uh the circuit towers right on the county line and there's a lot of accidents that happen there and sometimes it's easy just to call sublet and they, they usually have a helicopter on standby with long line and 
or long haul and short line capabilities, all kinds of different capabilities with the helicopter and they can go in there and, and make it a really efficient rescue or recovery. So yeah, we team up with them a lot. Yeah. And so you just mentioned the two words, so rescue recovery. So for the listener who doesn't understand those terms, what does that mean? Um, so yeah, recovery is uh, the worst case scenario that the person isn't isn't alive anymore and you're just bringing a body home at that point versus rescue. There's, there's hope and chance that they're still alive and you can you can bring them home safe and alive. So, and so I'm sure that also factors into some of the urgency too. Like I know, you know, if you have someone who's still got a chance, you know, you got to move even faster to try to try to make that happen. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, cause I mean, it is such a diverse County. David was talking about, it's huge, but it's totally different terrain. Like we've got desert, we've got prairie we've got mountains we've got all this different things so you've got rivers you've got lakes oh man yeah and hard water sometimes you know you've got frozen time periods so for you what's been one of the most challenging things about working in such a just a different environment with just so much diversity of terrain and elements of the weather and whatnot that's a that's a good question i would say the the training is probably one of the hardest things to to stay up to date and probably the aspect or the terrain would be the high angle side of things. Um, that's something that's like really low frequency for our team, but super high risk. Um, so it's something we don't do a whole lot. We, we don't get a call for high angle rescue a lot, um, but it's, it's, there's big consequences if something goes wrong in that. Um, so that one's probably the hardest thing for us to stay up to date on because to have certifications, you know, you've got to have so many hours of training every year. And a lot of times it's, you know, $650 plus per person for, you know, a two or a three day class. So it's just hard to afford the training. Um, so we do our best to maybe not stay up to date on certifications, but stay competent in, in everything that we do. And so that's probably the toughest one. Cause that's again, ropes are something that they get old, they get bad, they get nicks and cuts and stuff you have to replace. So that's one that, uh, that seems to be a struggle or not. I don't know if a struggle is the right word, but it's, you have to stay on top of that that aspect as far as the rescue goes there's just a lot of labor man labor put in just keeping the kit the gear the equipment up to date certified yeah. <laughs> in working order right yeah absolutely yeah we we uh just this year we've kind of implemented a a monthly maintenance program where we've got a date set every month where we go in we've got a roster of people that go in you know different months and uh go through checklists, make sure all our gear is accounted for, make sure it's in working order. Um, so when we get a call, everybody knows exactly where it's at. And you, you go to hop trusted. in the command vehicle and the tires haven't been rotated or, or <laughs> right. you've got a flat, you're, you're no good yeah. to anybody at that point. Yeah. And, and you kind of touched on a few things. I mean, as far as the depth and the breadth of the program, I mean, you're, you got to have land nav, you've got to have first aid, you've got to have cold weather rescue. Mm -hmm. You've got to have, you know, off-road driving capabilities right yeah you i mean you're talking about there's boat skills so you, you know you're between just all around skills you, you've got to have a lot of of life skills i guess is what i'm trying to say and, and a lot of knowledge in a lot of different areas you know from knots to just atv operation you know you're, i'm thinking about if you had a pheasant hunter around ocean lake or out around boyson you know depending on where they've hiked across you're not getting a pickup to them and some of those creeks, you're not getting a four-wheeler through, right? Yeah. But we can't just, I mean, just that specific area right there, if you were to do a, a manned foot search, I mean, you're going to need more than your six responders to, to hike that and go find somebody. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's kind of the that's a neat thing about our areas. There's there's a lot of different terrain. We get to see a lot of neat places, and it's kind of cool. We have we have people on our team that are like you say navigation map experts, and then uh, we've got people that are uh, that sled like serious about their snow machine stuff in the wintertime. Like they pay for their own training and stuff. So we've got people on our team that are really good at that. We've got people that are really good on four wheelers, avalanche um, control. I yeah. mean, helicopter communication, right? Just yeah. just yeah. just training to. To working around a helicopter and, yeah. and doing that there's you know, there's a lot of little things that once you add it all up it, it's a big book yeah it is that's why it takes a whole team you know like uh, you don't want me on a sled like it's bad <laughs> and you know but it's like i'm handy with ropes i know my knots i know my rigging so it's like we the team comes together and it's like it, it really does take a whole team to to be effective so yeah yeah i was just thinking about that when you said avalanche i mean we've got you know togety pass up there we've got all these places up around Dubois where people snowmobile and avalanches happen. I mean, it, it just is what it is. But then you've got, you know, Boyson Reservoir with boats and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's just incredibly diverse, like all the different things that you guys get to do and, and be a part of. And I think it's a very overlooked, probably in every state, the search and rescue teams and what they mean. Like I said earlier, when you need them, you need them. Like you want someone to come find you. You want someone to get you out of there if you're if you're hurt. You know, case in point, the the one we worked together, that terrain was horrible. You know, getting in there was extremely difficult on foot, which is a good thing you guys had, you know, a boat that could get there and do the extraction. But I mean, it just takes a lot of skills and it takes a lot of people working together to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to expand on just like seasonally, I'm sure you guys go through different things and different uh, preparations. So what, it, what does it look like seasonally for you? Um, yeah. So as soon as the ice is off or maybe even a little bit before, cause you, people push, you just, if the weather's, it's hard to guess if there's going to be ice one day or not the next. So, um, yeah, when the ice is getting ready to come off and make sure our boats are ready to go, that we get them fired up and it's, first chance we get we get them out and run them and make sure they're operational um because boats are they can be finicky sometimes um and then winter time you know we kind of push the boats to the back of the the station and get out our, our ice rescue gear make sure that it's it's ready to go you know the high angle stuff something with it with wind river canyon this close and even the cliffs around boys and you know we, we try to keep that stuff year round you know everything's pretty much accessible but you know kind of forefront of the mind make sure our training's up to date make sure we're all squared away on that stuff and the winter kind of poses a tough one for us where we found a big hole in our equipment is the desert in the winter time last year we had i think it was three hikers they were walking the continental divide and it was right after we got back from our backpacking trip and that big snowstorm came and uh, i think it was the first week of september last year i don't remember how much snow we got in places but it was a fair bit on on the valley floor here we got four to six inches it broke all the branches off the trees and i mean yeah where i went elk hunting it was like 16 inches of snow yeah which is not a big deal if you're planning it in october or november right right? you're you're prepared for it and you're ready for it and you you know that any weekend we go out it it could be potentially of right but you go out september 4th and you're in your shorts and a t-shirt thinking you're you're gonna have a 80 degree weekend and yeah one of these big black thunderstorms rolls over and it's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what happened to these hikers last September. They're out in, you know, tennis shoes and shorts and get caught in a blizzard. Um, and they were, they were like in the middle of nowhere. The difficulty we had or the problem that was posed was you get dry dirt roads for 
miles and then all of a sudden you've got half a mile of a six foot snow drift and so like snow machine you're going to destroy your your sled running miles and miles of dirt roads um and then a truck you encounter snow drifts better be good, good with a shovel rescue to get you <laughs> yeah <out>. yeah <laughs> so that's been one of our biggest difficulties in the winter time is the desert and you guys have probably been out there i've never been to siberia but if i had to guess if there was a place kind of like siberia it'd be like the gas hills jeffrey city area in the winter time like just windy and cold so uh We've got our eye on something, but it's a little bit out of our, our reach financially. Um, I don't know if have you guys seen those Sherps. The they're made they're made in Russia. Do they have tracks? They're they've got big giant wheels. Like oh yeah, yeah. they're amphibious. They the water. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. are cool. Yeah, we think that would solve a lot of our problems. But what do those run? I think brand new. They're around that hundred grand range. Right. So, but but you could go anywhere. Like Pretty that much. situation that I was talking to, I worked with you on, you could have gone there. That would have been, <laughs> it really would have been ideal. Yeah. <laughs> then they wouldn't have to load a boat. Yeah. They're just, yeah, yeah they're pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. That, that, those are cool. And they got those weird looking tires that are paddle tires. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those things are cool. So it's cool. So yeah, we're, we kind of half joke, but we're kind of serious. Like we're going to figure out a way to get one of those to Fremont County because that would solve a lot of, a lot of wintertime problems for the Riverton Search and Rescue crew. Like the Argos can do it, but that's an open cab and right. they're like 15 <laughs> miles an hour tops. Cold, so. cold, yeah. cold and slow. Yeah. Sherps are, are a little bit faster. Well, and yeah, what's like here in the county too, you talked about ice fishermen like to push it on both ends of ice fishing, like mm-hmm. early ice. So like I got to get out on the ice. So they push it a little too far and sometimes fall through. Delayed ice. Delayed ice, same thing. So I'm sure that would help in situations like that too. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never trained with them, but yeah, you see them on YouTube doing stuff like that. So I'm sure we would figure out a way to implement it, but yeah, they, they even, look handy. Or even the country up by Bricks Lake where you've got lots of little streams and, you know, icy spots and boggy stuff. Like it would, it would go through there, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And like kind of the other arena I thought it would be handy and was possibly uh, some of the flood season, you know, mm-hmm. um, where don't want to be tearing up boats and fences and stuff like that, where that might be, that might serve its purpose pretty good in a flood environment too. So I think about where we've put a bear bait in before you get snow drifts to where you, you know, you really can't get the four wheeler in there, but then you hit these creeks that are completely, you know, unthawed and, and rushing. Well, you got a four foot drop down into the Creek and then back out over four feet. You're getting a snowmobile stuck <laughs> there as well. Right. Yeah. So that thing should just be able to, Boop, boop. Yeah. In and out. And <laughs> yeah. No, that I, yeah, I spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos. I thought those were pretty cool. You'd have to go check them out. They're neat. One thing I found interesting is, you know, in Alaska, Alaska, while you're recreating out in the state, considers you property of Alaska and they pick up the bill for the search and rescue, right? So you go out there hiking, fishing, camping, canoeing, whatever, and you get lost and stuck and you call in the coasties, Alaska picks up the bill for that. Whereas here in Fremont County, that's not the case so much, especially, you know, with, with as, as in regard to air med, helicopters, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I have both of the flight insurances. Mm-hmm. And so if the helicopter has to show up and pick me up, at least I'm somewhat covered. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, I think that's a good, good plan. And a lot of that, fortunately, I don't have to deal with the bill, billing. The sheriff's department figures that out. And I think th- Fortunately, you know, if it's a, it's an honest mistake and, you know, you just get caught in some bad circumstance, I, I believe, and I wouldn't quote me on it, but we've got like that $1 donation you fill out on your hunting, fishing licenses. Um, I believe that goes to 
like the state search and rescue council and it gets reimbursed through like a Wyoming emergency management association. I believe is how a lot of that goes, but I wouldn't quote me on it, but yeah, don't, don't be scared to call for help. Well, <laughs> like with, with yeah. where I'm going, I mean, I carry a, a personal locator beacon, right? Yeah. And I kudos to you guys. You're doing a great job, but uh, a paper note in the, in the dash of my truck is, <laughs> is not my, my primary go-to, right? Uh, that's not my reliant of, well, there's a note in the truck. Maybe somebody will send the, the sheriff up here. Yeah. No, I, I mean, cause I'm playing with knives and arrows and broadheads and bears and elk. And I mean, j- just fall down and stick a, a tine through your calf, right? Or yeah just slip and and stick a knife in your your quad you're i'm i'm gonna pull that thing out hitting a button and helicopter's gonna show up overhead yeah well yeah and it it happens so fast and so easy you don't even have to be that far out of reach and you are out of reach because no one knows you're there right so i don't have cell service i like to go where there's no cell for service for for a reason (laughs) but wyoming's one of those unique places you could be 50 feet off the road no one will know you're there because of you know, brush or whatever. Um, there's that guy, I believe it was like a year ago that had gone around a corner too fast up by Lander and had rolled off the side down into the ditch and it took a few days to find him. I mean, those kind of things happen just because it's Wyoming, you know, it's just not as easy as it sounds to be like, Oh yeah, well, so-and-so went up, up this Creek drainage that could be 15, 20, 30 miles of Creek drainage. And so now you're, you have a pretty big search area. Yeah, uh, we were following a sheriff over Sandy Ann Pass in Oregon this last January, and he had his spotlight on, you know, and he was scanning the. Uh, we, we were going downhill, so we were on the, you know, kind of the ditch side of the road, if you will, as a two lane road. But he was scanning the other side, and doing like fifteen miles an hour. Now it was really snowy, nasty conditions, but it was probably twenty five, thirty mile an hour roads, and he's doing. 15 and I'm right behind him. He's got his flashers on. Well, what happened is because his spotlight was lighting up the trees so much, there was a car that had gone down over the embankment. We're talking down over like maybe five car lengths. But because I was paying attention and kind of like, what's this, you know, state trooper doing? And I didn't have a light shining over there in trees. He went past and I could see the trees reflecting red down there from the brake lights. Right. So I had to sit there and it took me about three quarters of a mile to get him to turn back around because he was just lighting everything up looking and couldn't see it, right? Yeah. So we got him turned around and thankfully somebody else had they'd climbed out of it and got a ride down to town and it was empty and nobody was there. But still, it was, it had gone down about 120 feet and smacked into one of those big Douglas fir trees and it was not a, it, it would have been a scary ride. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to see if you'd share some of your better stories of, of successful rescue, you know, um, you know, keeping people anonymous, of course, but just some some cool situations where you're able to have a good outcome. Yeah, the the most recent one is definitely the those hikers on the Continental Divide. And that one was cool because they were so grateful. You know, they were they were, thank you. And it's, it's pretty awesome to to see someone appreciate your efforts, you know, cause a lot of times they don't understand it, but, but those people definitely did. So that one was, so that was the, neat. Were they like huddled down and, and out of luck and going to be stuck there when you rescued them? <clears throat> yeah, that was, it was just blizzardy, nasty conditions. And, uh, yeah, they just didn't have the, the clothing, the attire to, to deal with that kind of exposure for very long. Were, were so, they in shelter or had they not even got, they, they had a tent. Up? Um, but like no insulation, um, 
Yeah, because it was, you know, they've been hiking all summer, so. And it wasn't like it was windy or anything. No, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that one was pretty neat. It could have definitely gone the other way, Um, but they, dispatch was able to get a a ping off cell phone, so we had a really, really good idea where they were at, and uh, yeah, just everything lined up, because, you know, a lot of times things don't line up. So how did you mitigate the snowdrifts? So we, we had a team member in this really awesome, like, jacked up, F-150 that like a rally truck, like a pre-runner type truck, and then a side-by-side. And they worked together kind of fighting their way through the snow drifts. Um, and then we, they weren't doing so well. Um, they were kind of getting their, their butts kicked, so to speak. Um, we had another team member, I believe it's called a Scandix made by Skidoo. It's kind of like a wide track sled. And he just kind of destroyed his carbides, his skis uh, getting in there. But him and another teammate went in on that and were actually able to get to um to the, the victims or the patients um, and the, the truck team and side-by-side team were kind of stalled out probably about two miles away. So they were able to make a short, they were able to catch up with the truck team and then get into the people that were, were stranded and bring them out one by one to the truck. And then obviously put them in a warm cabin and bring them home from there. So, yeah, but that could have been, yeah, you know, I don't know if they would have made a night. They probably would have, but it's hard to say, you know, it was pretty cold that night. It was windy. So, I had a chicken that night that didn't get into the chicken coop and froze to death. Didn't make it. So <laughs> I, I can tell you it was it was brutal. It yeah, was cold. Brutal. I was glad we came off the mountain before that hit because that was rough. Yeah. Yep. You guys came out like the second and that hit like the fourth, right? Mm, it was something like that. Like we came out Sunday and I think it hit Monday afternoon. Yeah. And the crazy thing, I think the – there was six other missions going on, on in the county yeah. at that time because there was a bunch of people that didn't get out there of the backcountry. There were the guys country. I talked to at the trailhead that were like, oh, it's no big deal, and they went up. And, yeah, they ended up getting well, pulled off, too. You told them, you guys, have you checked the weather? <laughs> yeah, and they're exactly. like, oh, we're, we're, we're fine. fine. We've done this for years. I'm like, no, like, it's going to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, Patrick and I ran into another guy hiking the uh, Continental Divide Trail with no bear spray, and I kind of told him, I'm like, you know, from from where we were at south, I'm like, yeah, not much grizzly activity. But from where we're at north the next 40, 50, 60 miles, yeah, I, I'd be on my toes. Yeah. And we were telling him this, and then we turn around to point back where we'd come, and then we saw a bear swimming across the lake. <laughs> 200 <laughs> yards away, like a minute later, <laughs> there's a bear swimming in the lake. It's like, you needed proof. There it is. But he still wouldn't take a can of bear spray, but that's the way it goes. So my scariest story was uh, I've flown in a couple different times in Alaska, bush plane and get dropped off, right? And typically I have insulation and extra food, but we got a, we had a party of three and the plane only held two. And we hunted in one spot for a few days and got moved to another spot. Well, they moved me first and it got late enough. The pilot said, you know what? I'm going to make a second trip tonight. I'll bring the other guys back in the morning. And while I'd left the sat phone with the other guys and didn't have a personal locator beacon at this point in time, I'm like, we got a sat phone in our camp. We're good, right? No. I mean, once we divided gear and I'm like, well, you guys keep the sat phone and bring it with you on the second load. And day three came and went and no pilot, nobody. And I started, you know, wondering, well, did the pilot auger into the ground? Did not tell anybody where I am? Am I just out here and alone? And I mean, thankfully, finally, things worked out. He showed up, came out, but talk about being 80 90 miles across tundra right yeah <laughs> and sitting there wondering 
is anybody coming for me? It's not a, it's not a comfortable feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have experiences like that growing up here in Wyoming where maybe you were caught out there? You know, I can't think of any off the, the top of my head and yeah, that kind of what I was thinking of when you mentioned your story really kind of divvied up gear and, um, thinking about our backpacking trip last year where we had, you know, a, a dozen guys. I don't know how many, there was quite a few of us, mm-hmm. uh, nine or 10. And I, I'm, I, before the trip, we were trying to mitigate weight and like split up stoves and stuff like that. And I kept telling the guy that was in charge, like, Ian, no, like I, I want to keep my own gear. You know, you just can't count on anybody. And I always <laughs> think like I've seen, I've seen rescues or scenarios that start out like that. Like we you had all the gear between four guys and then something weird happens and then you're out there without gear. And so like, I, I'm probably annoying that way when it comes time for backpacking trips. Cause I'm like, Nope, I'm keeping all my gear and we need to stay together, stay in a group, you know, kind of mother Hubbard kind of a deal. But I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause if you do have something bad happen and you're split off from the group, it can really be dicey depending on what happens with the weather and a number of other things. Yeah. Wildlife. Yeah. We, we don't even have to have, you know, a boulder roll down the hill and squish you or a, or a grizzly bear attack. You can just twist an ankle, twist an ankle or, or fall wrong and, and get a, you know, get a break that, punctures the skin right yeah and then then you're you know <laughs> we just did a hike the other day and i had the uh the two-year-old in the backpack he's 25 pounds right i kicked my butt <laughs> one of you guys go down in the woods i'm not carrying you out it's yeah. going to take four guys to carry you out <laughs> yeah and it's going to wear four guys out to do it oh yeah, yeah. well dead weight right <laughs> like when you're just like <laughs> hanging there and you can't support yourself it's hard to carry a guy who can't support himself but even if it's just one leg and, you know, we got to do not even a fireman carry. You're just going to, you know, basically do the, the potato sack race down the hill. That's going to be, I mean, if you're talking about going in anywhere in the wind rivers, you know, all those trails are just boulders and narrows and yep. it's not a nice gravel path. Well, down by Medicine Bow Peak, when I was in high school, we had a group come up from North Dakota. And I mean, they literally came up and then embarked with us on this trip and they hadn't had time to adjust altitude or anything like that. And the next morning we went up on Brown's Peak. It's like 10-8, I think, or 10-9. And we got most of the way to the top, and there were like four or five of them started to get altitude sickness. And, I mean, it was scary. And I remember I carried one of the gals, and she was probably 110 pounds. And, I mean, she literally couldn't stand up. Like, that's how bad it was. And that wore me out, man. And I was 18, great shape. I was shot after that but i mean just carrying another person is a lot and i mean she wasn't very big but it it gassed me <laughs> can take it or down we had a hunter here a few years ago you know he'd been suffering he's like you know i'm just gonna lay down in the tent and the other guy's like oh, are you sure let's take you down he's like no i'm just gonna lay down and sleep it off and he perished so yep. it's nothing to play around with yeah we went and we got back down to cheyenne and i mean that's cheyenne's six thousand. i think they came from 1500 feet yeah. maybe i mean it's that's a big change to go up ten thousand something and but that's another thing people need to think about when they're going on these trips you can't just jump from sea level up to you know gannett peak that's not going to be a good idea yeah. body's not going to handle that then yeah. you'll have sublet county search and rescue <laughs> coming after you right yep yeah <laughs> that sublet side you don't have to worry about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unless they call you right and be like hey we need some help yeah no it's 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 good to Good to talk about it again. You know, I, th- I think the biggest thing for, for our listeners is make sure you support your 
local search and rescue because it's not like they're you know finding money that grows on trees or anything like that and it's a sportsman who you know we depend on you guys when something bad happens and so just overlooking those donations is not a wise idea Um, you want them to be equipped you want them to be trained Um, and again these guys are doing it not for the pay it's because they care about you surviving and getting you back home to your family i mean did i put that in pretty good terms yeah he better than i could have yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what would you say just like you know wrapping up search and rescue you know what what advice would you give people or things you might just leave in their minds and it might maybe sounds cliche but like being in the building power line being in the electrical industry complacency was always something we were trying to combat like you get used to it um 50 feet in the air and ten thousand volts right yeah yeah so it's like you really you really have to stay on your toes and just just be prepared for for kind of just about anything, you know, like, it's like the life jacket thing, like, Oh, I can swim. I'll be fine. But what happens when you go in the water, when you're unconscious, um, you know, like, Oh, it's, it's August. I remember getting caught in the Grays river, um, deer scouting end of August and get, it snowed like a foot on us, you know? And it's like, you just never know. There's just a lot of things you don't expect. So I guess don't cheap out or wimp out on a, you know, stuff that's going to keep you safe or, or save your butt in, in the situation you're not expecting. You know, seeing all these different scenarios and all these rescues, my pack tends to get heavy because it's like, oh, if this guy just had a compass, he would have got back to his truck. Or if this person was just wearing a life jacket or um, if this person just had left a note, you know, then we'd know where they're at. You know, just little things like that. So just I would say don't skip out on the on the gear and uh, the stuff you, you think you might need. Just let people know where you were. That I think that's the biggest thing is getting your search and rescue team a, a head start on finding you. There's a couple things that are always in my backpack, and there's a small Nalgene emergency, you know, kit, right? Yeah. First aid, fire start, some other things. Uh, another one is my rain jacket, and rain pant. Even if it's early September, archery elk, and it's going to be 80 degrees, when I leave that rain jacket and pants in there, because you know what? And I always have. I sometimes don't take the the stove, but I always have at least an extra mountain house and some extra food, right? Because if it gets bad, I can put my rain pants and coat on. I can hunker under a tree and I can whip out a mountain house. And if I have to eat it dry and cold, I will. But I I usually have, you know, a few of those things. And that personal locator beacon is like number one on the list in my backpack. Yep. And if you break a leg and you got to spend the night, it would sure be nice to stay warm and not freeze to death, right? Yeah. Up there you could. There was just one day, there was no emergency, but I mean, we were basically hiking through a snow cloud I mean, it wasn't snowing, but it was over 90% relative humidity, right? And everything was wet, and it finally started to snow. We got about an inch of just really wet, nasty snow. It almost rained for a half hour and then started to snow. And we're hiking uphill and got sweaty, and I was just, I was cold enough, and we got to the top to rest. I'm like, let's let's start a fire. It took all the windproof matches I had, and, you know, my toilet paper started getting wet. It just took dry toilet paper out of the bag, and... I was using pine needles and pitch sap, and but it, I had the fire going two or three times, and it just was wet and damp enough that it just kept putting itself out. And I, I was, by the time I got it going, I mean, I was, my fingers were cold. I was cold. So, yeah. So be prepared. Make sure to take stuff with you. You know, fun search and rescue as much as you can. You know, <laughs> go to their banquets, do do donations. Um, you did touch on one last thing, though. A map without a compass is borderline useless. Sure. A compass without a map is still useful, but the the two together are really yeah a good pair. 
Yeah, you know, and it's rare that we use maps in search and rescue. You know, everything's so much, you know, GPS phone, but it's like you mentioned the fire starting. It's like you always have to have a backup plan because batteries fail you, things fail you. Um, so, yeah, backup equipment's always good. Always. And so before we wrap this one up, I need to talk about our sponsors here a little bit. So, um, you know, Hans, um, from high mountain. So, um, high mountain is a sponsor of this podcast and I know Hans would uh, tell everybody the same thing. Be prepared when you go out there, um, be safe. But, um, if you are going to go out and cook something this weekend or next weekend, think of high mountain seasonings. They've got a little bit of everything, whether you're cooking fish, poultry, you know, pork, beef, elk, antelope, deer, anything that you've got, they've got the stuff for it. Right, David? Now, if you're going fishing, if you're going backpacking, if you're going hunting, it's always nice to have a little bit of extra jerky in your backpack. Mm-hmm. And it's way cheaper and way better when you make your own. So I would challenge anybody out there that's on the fence about whether they want to try it or not. It's it's a pretty straightforward recipe to follow. It turns out pretty good. Take our word for it. Go get a starter kit at himtnjerky.com. You can pick up a kit really cheap. It's good stuff. You can find it just about anywhere. You know, Cabela's Bass Pro Shop, Sportsman's Warehouse, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, you name it, they've got it. So get out there and check them out. And then, David, tell us a little bit about Bow Spider going into the fall season and and what's new with that. Uh, we're, we're coming out with some new products. It'll be late, late uh, end of the year, probably first of next year that we'll actually launch those. But as far as, you know, having the capability to be hands-free, whether you're hiking or glassing and then instantaneously access your bow. And there's some how-to videos on YouTube, but it's, I mean, the, the thing I heard all summer from, we were at all those total archery challenges is a game changer, right? And you, you get fatigued from carrying a four to six pound bow all day long. Utilizing the bow spider, it's just another tool, but if you utilize it, you know, the proper way, it, it really does reduce that fatigue down to minimal and it, makes our, our saying is we don't make uh, you a better archer we make archery better <laughs> there you go so you can get those at bowspider.com check out the bowspider bow packing system and all the other great products that you have because you've got quite a few new ones now so um, go out and check those out and then i'll end on this one but pk lures is another sponsor i have not done a whole lot of fishing <laughs> with my my arm being messed up but um, I have a lot of friends have been sharing pictures, uh, catching a lot of fish right now on the PK spinajig. It's one of my favorites. Uh, you, it's a walleye killer. Um, so if you're out after walleyes you, and you're a jig fisherman, it's a good one to have in the arsenal because it gives you a little bit of flash with it too. So check out the PK spinajig. And then of course it is almost jigging spoon season. And Matt knows this because his dad likes to use jigging spoons. But uh, fall is a good time for jigging spoons. If you want to catch walleyes, trout, just about anything, perch, it doesn't matter. Um, So go to pklure.com and you can pick those up. And Matt, it was really good to talk search and rescue with you. We'll do another episode talking about rifle business, custom rifles. If you guys can't wait for that one, you can go to cross-eyed customrifles.com boom yep there you go so cross eye customrifles.com check out what matt does he makes some great products and what he does in his happy. free time from search and rescue yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that wraps up this episode of radcast outdoors again go to radcastoutdoors.com for more episodes and you can find us on apple spotify stitcher and apple podcast thanks again